0: Scripture reading is from Romans 12:9 to 16. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil; hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer Well, it's good to be back with you after a week off. Last week, we're continuing in our uh, series on our Christchurch core values. And today we're looking at the value of loving community. And in 2003 or so, uh, a really good movie was released called About a Boy. It stars Hugh Grant. You might have seen that movie. It's a movie that I enjoyed a good bit. And the movie's about Hugh Grant's character who's a single man living in London and um, enjoys his life as a wealthy single man. And he opens the film by musing out loud about his own life situation. And here's what Hugh Grant's character says to open the movie. In my opinion, all men are islands. And what's more, now's the time to be one. This is an island age. One hundred years ago, for instance, you had to depend upon other people. Whereas now, you see, you can make yourself a little island paradise. With the right supplies and, more importantly, the right attitude, you can be sun-drenched, tropical, a magnet for young Swedish tourists. The sad fact is, like any island dweller, from time to time, though, I had to visit the mainland. And as the movie unfolds, you see Hugh Grant's character meet a young boy and the young boy's mom and move towards meaningful relationship, willingly foregoing the freedoms that he had enjoyed while he was single. And really, that story, I think, does a good job of portraying humanity's deep longing for relationships. And the story concludes that these relationships are worth pursuing, that relationships are worth pursuing. And I think that that theme echoes the witness of the scriptures. It echoes the historic witness of the Christian faith. We need one another. That's important for us to hear because in our age, it's easier than ever to live as an island. A reality that all followers of Jesus are going to struggle with at one time or another in our particular environment is the false notion that we can go at it alone in life that we don't need others, that community, especially Christian community, is more of a hindrance than a help. However, as Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, has written, we're not ourselves by ourselves. We're not ourselves by ourselves. That's why one of our core values as a church is loving community. We cannot do this life alone. We are not islands, none of us. We all desperately need friendship, relationship. In a word, what we need is community. We're in the middle of this series on our seven core values, and remember, these are the things that we want to be known by, known for as a church. Uh, They're what we want to smell like. Every church has an aroma, and the aroma comes from what a church values, from what a church wants to be about, Every church has a culture, and that culture is defined by its values. So we've looked at the value of joyful worship a couple of weeks ago. Last week, Will did a great job preaching about our value of commitment to discipleship. And today, we're going to look at loving community. And I want to use these verses from Romans chapter 12 that Laurel read from the Apostle Paul to do that. These verses come in what's called the practical section by theologians of Romans, which starts in chapter 12. And if you'll look with me just for a second at Romans 12, 1, you'll see Paul use a really important word there. He uses the word therefore. Therefore, this is kind of the biggest transition in the whole letter to the Romans. And what Paul is saying is in light of everything I've written to you about the work of Jesus and its implications in chapters 1 through 11, here's how I want you to live. Here's how that should play out in your day-to-day existence. And then in verse 9, he talks about a very important concept, the concept of love. He says, let love be genuine. What we learn from that is one of the most important implications of the gospel is that those who believe it will love their brothers and sisters in the faith. A few weeks ago in our study of Colossians, we read Paul say elsewhere, Colossians 3, above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And we said then that love is not so much a character trait as the inner disposition of our hearts that produces all the other godly character traits that the scriptures require of us. Love is the glue that binds the Christian life together. It's the glue that binds the Christian life together. And we see the same thing here in Romans 12. Paul tells us to genuinely love one another. And then he gives us sort of a barrage of practical ways to do that. Really, he's answering the question, how does loving community manifest itself? How do we demonstrate that we love each other? What does that practically look like? And that's the question that I want us to focus on together just for a few minutes this morning. And I want to summarize like this with this main statement and then offer four ways that we can be a loving community. So here's the summarizing statement. The gospel creates a community of believers characterized by love for one another. The gospel creates a community of believers characterized by love for one another. Now let me show you four aspects from the Apostle Paul in these verses, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit that we can be a loving community. First, a loving community is an honoring community, an honoring community. Look at verse 10. There we read, outdo one another in showing honor. That's the only time in the whole New Testament that we find that verb outdo, outdo. And it's a competitive word. It has a competitive ring to it. Paul is saying we should surpass one another in showing honor. That means that loving community is a community that is quick to give credit to and to recognize other believers for their character, gifts, and accomplishments. Now, if you think about that, that goes against the grain of the world that we live in. That is really a countercultural idea. We understand the idea of honor, I think, and we actually pursue honor, but we usually pursue honor for ourselves and not for one another. We tend to be competitive about our own honor and not competitive about someone else 's honor. I recently read a novel about the history of texas it 's called "The Sun" by a man named philip meyer it 's a great book by the way, not for the faint of heart, but a good book and uh, Indians play a big role in the history of Texas, as you might know. And in this story, the Comanches are uh, pretty prominent. And one of the ways that the Comanches show that they understood honor is by being the first into the fray. The first into the battlefield, the first to kill someone and scalp someone. By the way, the someone was us, the Texans and uh, Comanches understood the idea of honor, but they understood the idea of honor for themselves. They were very competitive about gaining honor for themselves, but the Bible here inverts that. The Bible turns that upside down and says that love is competitive, not about our own honor, but about honoring one another. I've had the opportunity ...as pastor of this particular place... ...to attend and even participate in... ...a number of uh, promotion ceremonies for you military... uh, ...a number of change of command ceremonies... ...and uh, I think that's a great example... ...actually, of showing others honor. If you're in the military, you know what these are like. If you're not, then let me tell you briefly... ...they'll explain the accomplishments... ...and the achievements and the service record... ...of the person being honored... ...the person being promoted... ...or the outgoing commander... ...or the incoming commander... And uh, it's a way to give honor or recognition to the accomplishments and the character and the gifts of another person. I think that's military pomp and circumstance at its finest, in my opinion. And a great example of what it means to honor one another. That is one of the attributes of loving community. So here's a question. Why? Why is honoring one another an aspect of loving one another? You ever thought about that? Well, one reason is because it's a self-effacing thing just on the surface. But primarily, honoring one another is a reality that flows from the heart of the gospel itself. One of the incredible truths of the work of Jesus is that Jesus, who is worthy of all honor and who is worthy of all praise and all glory, honors us. The one who is most honorable humbled himself to bestow honor on us who are dishonorable. Remember when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples in the Gospel of John. There he's honoring them. He's putting them in the position of master and himself in the position of servant. That's the magnitude of the love of God seen in Jesus. That's the depth of the compassion that Jesus has for us. And so if it's true of God that he in the gospel honors us, then we respond by honoring others in the way of Christ. Is your life characterized by a desire to honor others? You know, honor is the opposite of jealousy and envy, isn't it? When you hear about a success or accomplishment of a brother or sister in Christ, or when you hear about something wonderful that's happened to them unexpectedly, maybe. That's a tremendous opportunity to honor them, to recognize their achievements or their talents or their gifts. But when we're out of step with the Spirit, we'll often respond to hearing about others' accomplishments with envy or with jealousy or with spite. We'll smile on the outside, say, oh, congratulations. But on the inside, we are boiling over and burning up. Brothers and sisters, listen, that is not of the Lord's That's of the flesh. The reality is, if Jesus loves us enough to honor us and build us up, even when we are undeserving, we can love one another enough in his power to honor them. So let's celebrate one another's victories, each other's fulfillment of dreams, and each other's abilities, because we're all on the same team. That's what loving community does. That's what the gospel brings. That's what we want to be about increasingly here. A loving community is a community that honors one another. Secondly, loving community is a hospitable community. Look at verse 13. Paul writes, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Loving community is hospitable. Now the word hospitality, as you may know, literally means love of strangers. Love of strangers. Hospitality is to give loving welcome ...to those outside your normal circle of friends. Hospitality is opening your life and your home to people in this church and elsewhere. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield is a a Christian who was a former atheistic professor at a major state university... ...that uh, began a relationship with a local pastor and his wife in her college town... Butterfield had written an article criticizing Christianity, some aspect of Christianity in the local newspaper. And this pastor had read the article and called her and invited her over for dinner. And uh, so she agreed to come over for dinner expecting to sort of be hit from the front and from the sides with all sorts of criticisms of her article and to get in a big debate about the validity of Christianity, etc., etc., etc. But instead, they just had a nice meal together and started a growing friendship. And that became a custom. These three people would regularly meet together over meals. And eventually, out of the budding relationship that she had with this pastor and his wife, Rosaria Butterfield came to faith in Jesus, largely through the practice of hospitality. And uh, she's written a great little book about this. And the book's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And in that book, she says this. Radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. Hospitality shares what there is, that's all. It's not entertainment. It's not supposed to be. You know, I think that, I think that hospitality is such an important aspect of loving community because it demonstrates It demonstrates the love of God in a way that few other practices do. Especially in our post-Christian era. Think about it. What is the gospel, if not the hospitality of God, extending out to us? God in Jesus is hospitable to us. God is a great host. And heaven is God's great eternal celebration. It's a banquet. It's a party. It's a feast. And God invites those who were strangers to him and makes them his friends. As Paul tells us in Romans 5, God shows love for us in that while we were still sinners and therefore enemies of his, he sent Christ to die for us. The gospel is that God brings strangers and vagrants and hopeless and helpless and homeless people like you and like me into his home. And he offers us all that he has in Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus actually became homeless so that we can have a home. Jesus was denied hospitality so that we can gain eternal, divine hospitality by God's grace. And listen, if that is true, then our loving community as the people of Jesus is to be characterized by hospitality. Are you engaged in hospitality? You know, hospitality doesn't have to be limited to the use of your home, although that is undoubtedly a major aspect of the whole picture of it in the Scripture. But hospitality can also be giving up any of your possessions or time for the service of another, whether it's a home or a meal or inviting someone to share at your table or something else. And by the way, just to commend you, the Evans family were recipients of your deep hospitality this week. Uh, We were out of town last week uh, for spring break, and on our way back, our vehicle broke down. And uh, the vehicle has perished, by the way. We uh, had a eulogy for it uh, at the end of our experience there. It was buried in the swamps of Louisiana, somewhere in a junkyard. And uh, rest in peace, uh, Toyota Sienna. And uh, so we had a long day getting back. We were down to one car, and within 12 hours of our being home, uh, we had a vehicle that one of you was willing to loan to us. Sorry for that huge dent in the side, by the way. Just kidding. That's a joke. Uh, we woke up the next morning to find that our washing machine was broken because, as you know, when it rains, it pours. Within three hours, Marianne texted our community group and some of our community group people said, we're out of town, come over to our house, use our washer. We were able to get all of our laundry done and dried and ready for the week. And we were just thinking, what would we be doing right now without the people of God? extending their care and their hospitality to us. And later on in the week, Marianne was telling one of her coworkers at school about this experience and about our adventures over spring break. And Marianne told this lady about the care we had received from our community group and from our church. And her coworker said, wow, those are good friends. And you know, she was surprised by the depth of our care for one another. But what I knew deep down was that that is the norm among us as it should be because loving community is a community that's engaged in hospitality. Third, loving community is a sympathizing, a sympathizing community. Verse 12, Paul says, rejoice in hope. Again, verse 15, he writes, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In other words, to love one another means that we sympathize with one another. John Stott summarizes beautifully what Paul says here. Listen to what he says. Love never stays aloof from other people's joys or pains. Love identifies with them, sings with them, and suffers with them. Love enters deeply into their experiences and their emotions, their laughter and their tears, and feels solidarity with them whatever their mood. Now, we saw just a minute ago that the concept of honoring one another involves rejoicing when they rejoice. Let me focus now for a minute on the second part there of verse 15. Sympathy involves weeping with those who weep. Paul writes elsewhere, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that we share in one another's sufferings. So loving community laments. Loving community laments together. We sympathize with one another in suffering, in weeping. In fact, we can even uh, enter into the suffering of others and suffer with them. Loving community means that when one of us is cut, we all bleed. And there's profound power, I think, in collective sympathy and suffering. Indeed, this aspect of our love for one another flows directly from God himself as well. In a mysterious way, we can even say that all of our suffering in life is, as Paul says, filling up the afflictions of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now getting to the heart of that mystery uh, perhaps is impossible, but what's clear is that God is deeply involved in and engaged in our sufferings. God is deeply involved and engaged in our sufferings, and if that's true, then the people of God are to be deeply involved and engaged in in one another's sufferings. Now, in a sense, that's like a splash of cold water to the face. You know, if you're thinking about what it means to be a Christian, if you haven't been around church for a while, you might hear that and think, "Eh, I might take a pass on that one, right? What does it mean to be a part of a loving community? Well, part of what it means, part of what it means on a very fundamental level is that you're joining with the sufferings of others and you're inviting others to share in your sufferings, To weep when you weep. Now listen, that is both profound and painful. And we we kind of blanch at that. We're like, I don't know. Because our culture doesn't know what to do with suffering. Our culture doesn't know what to do with death. We don't know how to process these things in ways that are healthy. So one way we love one another is simply to weep together at times when it's called for. Now, let me talk to you about this for a minute. I want you to listen. Paul does, look at what the text says. Paul does not say, he does not say, talk to those who weep. Does he say that? No, that's not what it says. He says, weep with those who weep. Friends, the last thing suffering people need to hear their church family say to them in moments of pain is, God is sovereign. Is God sovereign? we're good. Five-point Calvinist here. Yeah, he's sovereign. I'll teach you all about that if you want to know. But the sovereignty of God in suffering actually begs the question, if God is sovereign, why in the world is this happening to me? Sometimes we use truth as if it's a dull hammer being pounded over another's head. We don't talk with those who weep. We weep with those who weep. Saying something like that is true, but in fact, it's just not helpful. What's needed What's needed is silent sympathy. Listen to a non-Christian write about this. Albert Camus, a philosopher, personifies a man uh, in one of his books who had just lost three sons. And this man was torn up by grief. Uh, This is a little article called The View from a Hearse. Fun reading. And uh, Camus says in the book, personifying this man who had just lost his children, I was torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. That's what it means to weep with those who weep. It means to enter into their struggle, to enter into their pain as best we can, to sit with them there, and to sympathize, maybe even to cry. Can we be that kind of people for one another? To love means to share our own experience of suffering with others in a redemptive way when they're experiencing suffering. Lastly, Paul tells us that a loving community is humble. Look at verse 16. Do not be haughty or arrogant, but associate with the lowly. You know what I love about this verse? I think Paul's being sarcastic here. Associate with the lowly, he says. Do you know why I think that's sarcastic? Because there's no such thing as a non-lowly follower of Jesus. We are all the lowly. We're all the lowly who follow and worship the God who made himself lowly. So we love one another. We live out loving community by acknowledging our own lowliness. That's what humility is. Humility is recognizing that we don't have all the answers. That there are many things in our own lives that we are blind to. That many of you do many things much better than I do. That we all have God-given limits to our capacities and our understandings and our abilities. That none of us is really in control. Ultimately, humility is understanding how peripheral we are and how central God is. And what happens when a loving community is humble? When a loving community is growing in humility, that community becomes safe. It becomes a safe place for the lowly for the weak, for the struggling, for the broken. That's what the church is, friends. Do you know that? The church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital. It's a hospital for sinners. The church is, our church is, a people who are all weak, who are all struggling, who are all broken, who are all needy. We're a people who gather each week in worship and in community groups and in relationships, completely dependent upon Jesus' grace to us. We're a people who are at all times at the mercy of the Spirit of God leading and prompting us towards maturity. And guess what? That is actually the best possible place for any of us to be individually or collectively. Let me tell you a story and then we'll finish. Once upon a time, uh, there was a water carrier in India, a water carrier in India who used uh, two large pots for his task of carrying water from a stream to his master's house, and he suspended a pole across his neck and attached a pot at each end of the pole, and one of the pots had a big crack in it, while the other pot was perfect. And the perfect pot always delivered a full portion of water from the stream to the master's house, while the cracked pot arrived only half full each day. And for two years, this water carrier made the same journey, and the perfect pot became proud of its accomplishments. The cracked pot, on the other hand, was ashamed of its imperfection and was miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. Finally, one day, after two years of this going on by the stream, the cracked pot spoke to its owner. It spoke to him about his bitter failure. He said, I am ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize that I've only been able to deliver half my water to your house. You see, there's a crack in my side, which causes water to leak out. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value from your efforts. Then the water carrier smiled and looked at the cracked pot and said, on the way back to the master's house, I want you to notice the path that we're walking on. And on the trip back from the stream, the cracked pot looked around. And when they got back, the master said, did you notice that there are flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? The master commented, that's because I've always known about your flaw and I took advantage of it. I planted seeds on your side of the path. And every day while we passed these spots, you watered them. Now for two years, I've been able to pick those beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being cracked, I would not have been able to grace his house. That's the way God works. Do you know that? God uses your cracks. God uses your brokenness. God uses your issues. God is willing to, as it were, get his hands dirty in our lives to accomplish his good, gracious, saving purposes among us. Humility is recognizing that that is the process of the Christian life. Can we be more and more as the people of God expressed here in this one expression of the global church at Christ Church in San Antonio, a loving community, a community of honor, a community of sympathy, a community of humility, a community that cares for others more than we care for ourselves. That's what we long for because that's when we become a safe place, a safe place for ourselves and a safe place for those who have not yet heard the good news of the gospel. And I want to commend you because I believe that we are that. I believe that we are that. I believe that's one of the things that the Spirit has done done among us in the last five years. I want to encourage you to continue to love one another well as Christ loves us.